Good to see you this morning. I read a little funny this week. It's bad theology, but it's kind of good, okay. The title of it is Not Afraid. A few minutes before the church service started, the townspeople were sitting in their pews and talking. Suddenly, Satan appeared at the front of the church. Everyone started screaming and running for the front entrance, trampling each other in a frantic effort to get away from the evil incarnate. Soon everyone had exited the church except for one elderly gentleman who sat calmly in his pew without moving, seeming oblivious to the fact that God's ultimate enemy was in his presence. So Satan walked up to the old man and said, Don't you know who I am? The man replied, Yep, sure do. Aren't you afraid of me? Satan asked. Nope, sure ain't, said the old man. Don't you realize I can kill you with a word? asked Satan. Don't doubt it for a minute, returned the old man in an even tone. Did you know that I could cause you profound, horrifying, physical agony for all eternity, persisted Satan? Yep, was the calm reply. And you're still not afraid of me, asked Satan? Nope, says the old man. More than a little perturbed, Satan asked, well, tell me, why aren't you afraid of me? The man calmly replied, because I've been married to your sister for 48 years. <laughs> now, I could have turned that on, you know, the men. But anyway, the point is, terrible theology, right? But a great story about how God wants us not to be afraid. Now, by the way, the devil doesn't have a body. He doesn't become incarnate, okay? So get all that craziness out. The devil doesn't even torment you in eternity. I should actually take that story into theology. He, he will not be the tormentor, he will be the tormented. So, you know, funny little story, you know, oh, whatever, but terrible theology. But anyway, the point is, God wants us to live our life not in fear. Actually, he tells us not to fear the evil one. We are to resist him firm in the faith. One of the greatest challenges the enemy gives to a Christian, I am thoroughly convinced, is he causes us to doubt our salvation, our relationship, our eternal life with Jesus. So this morning, what we want to do is try to help you not only affirm your own faith, but we also want to help you as you understand how to share this message with other people. Is that my mic going crazy? Spiritual warfare. Okay, I hear it up here. But as long as you can hear me, that's fine. So what we want to do this morning is take three central passages in the Gospel of John, I'll get to it here in just a second, and show you that when you witness to someone, this is the best place to turn. Now maybe in Awana, maybe in other places, you were taught the Romans road. I'm not going to say the Romans road is bad, you know, 323, all have sinned and fall short of the glory. 623, wages of sin, gift of God is eternal life. Romans 10, confess the mouth. The problem is, and I don't want to get into this, Romans 3, 6, and 10 are all talking to believers. It's telling a believer, since you have accepted Christ as your Lord, don't live in sin, Christian. Because even for a believer, the wages of sin results in what? Death. I mean, you could be taken out prematurely, you could lose your rewards, all kinds of issues. So, the best place to turn is the best gospel to turn to, and that is the one that was written for unbelievers. I've told you all this before. It's like, you know, repeating, but sometimes people forget. There is only one New Testament book that is written to unbelievers. Every other New Testament book was written to believers, and John was specifically written to tell people how they could have eternal life. So it is specifically an evangelistic or a message to, to tell people who Jesus is and what you must do to have eternal life, okay? Let me read these two verses in John chapter 20 as they explain the whole reason for the book. And by the way, it's wonderful when someone writes and actually tells you what they're writing for. You agree? Uh, I am a thesis guy. I love to go read a thesis because that is like... A sermon in a sentence. It explains to you everything you need to know in a boiled down point. And this is what John says. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John wrote his gospel and recorded the works of Jesus and the sayings of Jesus so that someone would believe on him and have everlasting life. Now, as we think about the gospel of John, he also wrote some other letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. In 1st John, that's over toward the end of the New Testament, he wrote that epistle to talk about how to be in fellowship, and this is what he writes. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now I want to stop right here and I want to help you for a moment. There are some people who teach that you cannot know that you have eternal life unless you do A, B, C, and D. You know, if you get down on your knees and crawl up a church aisle, no, I'm, I'm being funny here, if you say the right things, if you fold your hands when you pray, if you cry, if you weep. No, that is not what he teaches. Some people even teach that you have to successfully live the Christian life in order to have eternal life. And you will not actually know until you get to the end of your life whether you're really saved or not. Now some of you listen to these people on the radio and may not even know what they teach. But the point is, you don't even know you're a true believer until you get to the very end. And if you persevere to the end, guess what? Then maybe you'll make it. I happen to believe when you read God's Word, it's a little more clear than that. I think God wants to give us certainty that you and I can believe His message. We can take God at His Word by faith, and we can settle in our restless soul that we can know for sure that we have eternal life, not by doing, but by believing what was done. Okay, so the issue is between do and done. Are you a do Christian? In other words, do you think you have to get up and read your Bible and pray and go throughout the day and be nice to everyone? and, you know, make the bed, and, you know, all these nice things in order to, to please God and make him love you more than he does? Or are you the Christian that rests in the fact that Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe, sin left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow, and gave me eternal life. And you know what? I may mess up during the day. I may do things that I shouldn't. And it may affect my fellowship with him, but it never affects my relationship. And I know I'm flawed, I know I'm a sinner, but I know that Jesus died for me and he gave me eternal life. And I rest not in my behavior, but I rest in who he is and what he did. Now folks, listen to me. When you come to the, the precipice here, and you're willing to take God at his word, it totally transforms your life. Now, there are some people who say, well, I don't believe that a person can just believe and then there's no action because that is not saving faith, they will say. You know, that's a whole other sermon. We'll talk about that sometime. And they love to turn to James chapter 2 and say, faith without works is dead. That's not true faith. That's a whole sermon, and I'm going to preach on that whole series because he is not talking about salvation faith in James chapter 2. He's talking about something else. So somebody turns there, just smile, just smile and say, sermon's coming, I'll figure out what that is. Okay, all right, enough of that. Now, the gospel of John, he, Jesus gives I am statements. Now you all remember when Moses went back in Exodus and Moses said, who is this that's speaking to me from this? I am. Tell them I am sent you. This is a direct corollary with the burning book, Exodus chapter 3, 2 and 3, where Moses talks and, and the, the bush speaks and God tells Moses, you tell the children of Israel, I am sent you. Jesus makes this claim, I am the bread of life. The, the manna in the wilderness did not save. I am the one, any man who takes of me has eternal life. I am the light. John chapter 8. These are good studies, by the way. 
probably a whole other series. I am the gate for the sheep, the, the entrance, the way. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Then John 14, probably the most famous of all of these, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except me. I am. John chapter 15, I am the true vine. Paralleled to back in Isaiah's book in chapter 5. The, 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 the wild vine and the true vine. Okay, so Jesus here is making an absolute definitive statement that he is God and he is the one who gives eternal life. So, if you're going to talk to someone, let's just say you're going to witness to someone, how do you do this? Okay, three easy little steps. This is all common sense, but sometimes we get so bogged down that it's hard for us to just stop for a moment and think. The first thing you have to do is form a relationship. Sometimes this might go by very fast, by the way. You may be on an airplane. You may be at a gas station. Uh, you may just bump into someone. But after you talk to them and see, you know, is this person... You ever felt led to witness to somebody? You ever just felt like, you know what? I think God wants me to share good news with them. And then you're like, well, what if I... What if I look, you'll probably never see them again. Uh, but what about somebody you know that you've never shared the message with? Here's a good way to do it. Form a relationship with them. And then ask this simple question. Hey, what do you think happens to you when you die? And by the way, that's a very interesting question. So, some people may say, I don't know and I don't care. You know, if they answer you like that, you can probably go, oh, okay. You know, and then... Maybe, maybe you go the other way or maybe you say, well, what if I told you something that would make you care? Or what if I could share something with you that would let you know that you probably should care? You know, you pique their interest when you ask a question. And by the way, it's amazing what people believe. And you have to be discerning here. You know, do I share the gospel with this person? Are they hostile? Do they want to hear it? Or, or are they open and are they willing to, to listen and think and learn and whatever? So it takes some discernment. But form a relationship. Ask a question. What do you think happens to you when you die? Or do you have eternal life? By the way, when you ask people that question, do you know for sure that you have eternal life? Some people go, what, what are you talking about? And then finally, turn to, to three passages. Pick one, pick two, pick three. Turn to these passages, and if you can, let the person read them. Let them read them for themselves, because there's something about when a person reads out loud these passages, there's something that God does that's hard to explain. I know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, but when someone reads them and then has to answer the question, God does something in this process. And then you can ask them this simple question, what is the one condition that Jesus says person to have eternal life. I mean, so when you ask the question, what does Jesus say a person must do? Let me tell you what that does. That takes every preacher that you know, every preacher you've ever read, and it now it puts them in a category. Okay? Here here's the category. Are they the fourth member of the Trinity or not? Uh, because Jesus is in the Godhead, right? Father, Son, Spirit, all equal, all one, in, in essence, in all attributes, everything. And I have never met another man, person, woman, whoever, that, that has any kind of qualities like that. None. So you're pitting the words of Jesus against the words of a man. And I would highly encourage you, take Jesus at his word and take what men say as a grain of salt, okay? I, that's my, that is my little push for you, all right? So, what are these three central passages? A, a great thing to do, you ready? Take your Bible, that's why you should always carry one. Open the flyleaf up, right? Open the flyleaf. This is, this is called memory block. Write down questions I should ask. What's the first question? What happens to you when you die? Do you know what happens to you when you die? Or do you have eternal life? And then come under that and write three passages. 
for evangelism or witnessing or whatever. Okay, here they are. John 3.16, John 5.24, and John 10.28 and 29. And so I'm going to turn to them in my Bible because I'm going to give you a little bit of context uh, with each of the verses without belaboring you. And then we're going to roll on, okay? John 3.16, I put this on the screen. You all read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, I wish we were in a classroom where I could say, tell me what story was before this that led to this saying. Here was the story. There was a religious leader named Nicodemus who was scared. He, by the way, he was scared too, did you know? He didn't want to be associated with Jesus because he would think that people thought he was a fanatic. And he might lose his position in his workplace. He was a, he was a rabbi. He was a member of a high council there. So he would sneak off at nighttime when nobody would see him and he would come to Jesus. And so he asked him a question and Jesus started interacting with him and told him that a person had to be born again. Had to be born from above. And Nicodemus is trying to figure out what this means to be born again and Jesus finally tells him. Nicodemus, you remember back in the children of Israel when they were all grumbling and complaining and griping as they were coming out of the wilderness? And God sent fiery serpents down and bit them. And they were dying. And God told Moses, go and make a serpent and put it up on a pole and tell the people, look at the serpent and you'll live. Turn your back on the serpent, you're going to die. Look and live, turn and die. Now by the way, can you imagine going to a doctor's office today and You've, you've been bit by a rattlesnake and somebody walks out and says, okay, look up at the pole and you'll live. And what would you do, by the way? Look at the pole. I mean, when you're desperate, this is a great point, when you're desperate, you do what it takes. But I want you to notice this. God did not tell them. He was teaching them a principle, by the way. You are saved by by God's grace, through faith in believing what he says. And God told them, look at, the look at the serpent, look at the pole. And if they looked, they lived. If they didn't, they died. And Jesus told Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever looks upon him will live. And here's why. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the issue here, folks, is, is what? Believing in Jesus for eternal life or not believing? Now listen to what the verses right after 16 says. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. And by the way, you know what the word world means? You want to know what it means? It means the world. And by the way, in, in, my, in my field of theology, part of my field is a study called hermeneutics, great big word, which means interpretation. And I just love love to turn here and have fun with people because when people try to take the word world and make it narrow down to just mean something that it doesn't mean, this is called monkey games. Jesus, God so loved the world that he died for the sins of the world. It doesn't mean all the world is saved. But listen carefully, it means the world is savable. All of humanity that's part of the world is savable. But there's one thing they have to do in order to receive eternal life. And what is that? Believe. Oh, thank you. thank you. I love interaction, by the way. You know, like Oliver Green said, that's like saying sick them to a bulldog. That, that way I know you're not asleep. The one thing you have to do is believe. 
God didn't send Jesus in the world to condemn the world. It was condemned already. I'm in verse 18. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe, read it carefully, has been judged already. In other words, all of humanity stands in one condition. Belief or unbelief. Judgment or they have now passed to eternal life. Okay, you're in one place or the other. Belief or unbelief. Uh, eternal life or judgment. Condemnation, whatever you want to say. Everybody stands in that position. So, verse 18 to finish it. He who, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, the condition here is, what are you doing with Jesus? All right, bottom line. Okay. The second passage, I'm in John chapter 5, verse 24. So turn over there. The context of these passages, Jesus here is being persecuted because he is claiming to be God and the religious leaders gather around him and now they're going to persecute him. And Jesus begins to explain something to them, by the way. You know, if he hadn't been persecuted, we may have never got these stories. But then again, maybe we would have. Okay, that's just speculation. Anyway, the point is, he tells them they have to honor the Son. In chapter 5, verse 24, I'm going to start in verse 21, then I'll get to this one. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son in order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, in, in the original language, this is like so emphatic. Listen, listen. I'm telling you for certain, I'm telling you for certain. I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life, and does not come into judgment. I'm reading it how it was supposed to be read in the original. You know, in Greek, they have a way of emphasizing something, so when you read it, it's like, in English, the only way you get that out is by raising your voice. Truly, truly, I say, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life. And has what he's done what? He does not come into judgment. But he has passed from death to life. How many, how many Christians are scared to death they're going to come into judgment? By the way, I've talked to some. You know, during, during a pastoral lifespan of more than 20 years, if people are honest with you, one of the greatest issues that they struggle with is past sin. Okay, sometimes it's even sin they've committed after becoming a believer. By the way, you are still a sinner. You know that, don't you? And, and let me just say this. Don't ever put anything past yourself. If you think just because you've believed on Jesus and just because you have the Holy Spirit living in you that you're not still a sinner, and not still capable of doing some things that are unbelievable, please come back to reality. Because you can. But here's what the good news is. You will never come into judgment for your sin. Did you hear me? Now, I can tell you that based upon the authority of God's Word to release you from all the bondage of the enemy and your conscience and your guilt and everything else because in God's courtroom, your sin has been fully and completely paid for. It will not be brought up. You have passed from judgment to life. I mean, you've crossed the great bridge that a majority of humanity has never crossed. You have went from eternal death to eternal life. All because... You have accepted, believed, put your faith, your trust in Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. He does not come into judgment, but has passed, has crossed over from death to life. 
Now, by the way, in this passage, in this section here, Jesus is going to list five witnesses. I preached a sermon on this a while back. Five witnesses that prove that he is who he says he is. And he did exactly what he said he came to do. Who are the five witnesses? Do you all know who they are? Look in verse 33. The first was John the Baptist. This is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look in verse 36. The second are the works, the, the miracles, all the things that Jesus did. Nobody else could do that except God. The third witness is the Father Himself, verse 37. He spoke from third heaven. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Verse 39, the Scriptures speak of who He was. He told them, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. However, it is these that bear witness of Me. And you are unwilling to come to Me that you may have life. Why do people not have life? Because they're unwilling to come to Jesus and believe. And then the fifth witness, verse 45, is Moses. You know, Moses wrote which books in the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, called the Pentateuch or the Law sometimes. That's the five books that the Jews believe are the most sacred, the most important. And you skip Leviticus every year in your Bible reading, right? They memorize it because they realize God's holiness and their uncleanness and you know their way to get to God and Jesus took care of every bit of that. Every bit of it. And they were trusting in themselves and Jesus said, no, you've got to trust in me. I have to give you eternal life. So what is his claim here? I say to you, he who hears my word, what was his word? I came to give you life. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me. What did God say about Jesus? That's the question, by the way. 524 is not saying that if you believe there's such thing as God the Father, that you'll have eternal life. No. No, 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 no. 524 is saying if you hear what Jesus is saying, you must do. You must believe on him for eternal life. And you hear the word of him who sent me? Which is saying what? The Father's given me life. I'm willing to give life to whoever. The Father's given me power to raise those from the dead. And He's given me the power to give eternal life. If you believe what He says too, which is the same thing I'm saying, guess what? You'll have eternal life. You'll never come into judgment. You'll cross over. You'll cross over. But you have to believe Him. Now by the way, after you believe this and become a believer, I don't want to leave this stone unturned. After you become a believer and you sin, what do you do with that? Do you have to go back and get saved again? Well, let me put it in a very practical term. I am the, the son of Tom and Nancy Altizer. And when I was born into the world, November 11th, 19... Okay... I became their child. Tom was my father. Nancy was my mother. I was born into their family. Okay, I could have grown up and said, yeah, I don't like my mom and dad. I think I'll go to the courthouse and change my name. And I could have went and got a, a new last name or changed the name John. I could have done whatever. But the bottom line is, test my DNA, test whatever you want to, Tom and Nancy are my father and mother. I am born into their family. Now, I never wanted to change my name, by the way. I was part of their family. But let me tell you, as a kid, I was, a, I was an ornery little rascal. It's a wonder I'm still alive. And there were times that I, I did things that were, were terrible. And dinner time wasn't that fun. You ever sit at the table when there's conflict? Because you know you've done something to mom and dad that you shouldn't have done. And, and you're still in relationship. I mean, you're still in the family. But you're out of fellowship. So what do you have to do to make dinner taste good again? Okay, I'm, this is, I'm just being family language here. Dad, mom, 
what I did was wrong. I, I sinned against you. I wronged you. I should not have done that. I knew better. I did it anyway because I wanted to. I chose to do it. I'm making no excuses. Please, forgive me. Forgive me for doing that. And somehow or another, let me back into your good graces so that I can enjoy sitting at the table again. And do you know what the Father does? You know, good fathers, by the way, when children are sincere, what do they do? They choose to put their pride aside and their right for vindictiveness and to get even, and they choose to forgive them. Are you listening? And they choose never to bring it up again. You ought to write this verse down too. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, that's talking to Christians, by the way. John writes, little children. Little children, you're in the family. If we Christians confess our Christian sins committed after our salvation. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our Christian sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now by the way, don't mix those two up. Don't, don't mix up relationship and fellowship because 1 John 1 9 is not a salvation verse it's a it's a Christian bath it's it's when you get dirty as a Christian and you sin that's how you get cleaned up but John 5 24 is a it's a family verse it's how you come into the family you got to believe on him who sent me believe on Jesus for eternal life and now the third central passage. Are you, are you ready? Are y'all with me? Okay. Nobody's fell over dead yet. All right. John chapter 10. If you notice now, this is one of the I am statements. I am the, the door. I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus was being accused here by the Jews once again. But he was explaining to them and... I'll get to my passage in a minute. He was explaining to them why they didn't respond to him. You know, I'm, I'm going to have to read this. Verse 25, Jesus answered them uh, because they asked him the question, how long will you keep us in suspense if you're Christ, tell us plainly. I always have to laugh at that. <laughs> if, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Are you kidding me? I mean, all of these miracles, oh, raising the all this stuff's going on. You know, if, if you're the Christ, just tell us plainly. Notice what Jesus says to them. He answered, said, I told you. I mean, what else do I have to do? I told you. I, I've told you plainly. You've heard me. You've seen me. Now notice what he says. And you still don't believe. Now, by the way, folks, evidence in apologetics, it's a big word for saying that you have to prove scientifically that something is true in order for somebody to believe is baloney. They saw it, they heard it, and guess what? <clears throat> the hardness of their heart, they still wouldn't believe it. Now, I'm not saying you don't use evidence. I'm just simply saying that is not what brings eternal life. I told you and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Emphatic again. My sheep. Now notice how I read this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. I know them. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. Now notice what he says about his sheep. Those who hear his voice and believe him. And I give them eternal life. 
I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. You know, that'd make a Baptist turn charismatic. He's, he's talking to people who didn't believe on him, telling them about his sheep. You don't hear me because you're not my sheep, but my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. And no one snatches them out of my hand. No one. Can I ask a question? If Jesus says no one, who does that mean? Now I'm going to ask you a hard question now. You ready? Does that mean even you? You believe on Jesus for eternal life and life goes. Sin comes in. It looks fun. You enjoy it for a while. You can't say it's not fun. But people start loving their sin more than they love God and His Word and they get cold toward God and they wander off in the pathway of sin and they got this guilty conscience. I mean, you know, they try to enjoy sin but they got somebody living inside of them that just won't let them enjoy it. I mean, they try to do everything they can. They try to renounce Him. They try to avoid Him, avoid God's pain. And down in the crevice of their heart, they're so miserable. They can't enjoy their sin like all their friends. You know why? I know this is hard, and I know that it's hard for you to believe. Hard for me to believe sometimes. But they're his sheep. And though his voice may be silent and may be in the depths and the crevices of the conscience and the soul, his voice still speaks. And no amount of sin can squelch his voice in his child's heart because they know who their father and their savior really is. And, you know, the Word of God says that a believer may choose to live like that and they may make it a pretty good while in this life and they come to the end of their life and they will stand before what's oftentimes called the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Only believers are there. It's not to determine salvation. It's to determine rewards in the Christian life. Listen, folks, they may not have a one. Paul told the Corinthians, some of you may come through smelling like ashes. But you'll get through. You want to know why? Because you're his sheep. Can I tell you something on myself? Can, can I tell you this? I know this from experiential truth. There was a time in my life, you know, I haven't always been Pastor John. There was a time in my life when I was a believer. And I'll guarantee you if somebody looked at me, they would have said, he's a pagan. He is a pagan. There's no way he could ever be a believer. Look at his life. His faith without work. He, it's dead. It's not true faith. I was as saved then as I am now. I was just miserable. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. Are you ready for this? My Father... I have to go to the next one, don't I? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. Greater than all. Nobody is greater than God the Father. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So you're not going to take them out of my hand? You're not going to take them out of the Father's hand? This sounds like security to me, folks. How about you? You know, when the, when the good shepherd grabs a sheep by the neck, we have a sheep farmer here, by the way. You should ask him about the hook and the crook and grabbing the sheep. 
you know, take them sheep and pull them up on their hind end and set them down. What does that sheep do? Just sets there. It's amazing. You should watch some of the videos on sheep farmers. He, he grabs it. Sheep just stands there. And by the way, being called a sheep is not really a high compliment. But, <laughs> but nevertheless, they, they do respond to the shepherd's voice. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now listen to this next verse. Are you ready? I and the Father are one. Okay, this verse has context. I and the Father are one. I like it when a Jehovah's Witness tries to pull this out and say, you know what, I like to go back and say, what, what are they one about? Is this just systematic theology where we're talking about the essence of the Godhead? You know, I'm omniscient, he's omniscient, I'm omniscient. Is that, or is he saying here, listen, the Father and I are agreed on this. My sheep belong to me. He gave me my sheep, and my sheep will never be plucked out of my hand. I happen to believe that's exactly what he's saying. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are united on this, that whoever he gives eternal life to will never perish, and they'll never be plucked out of his hand. Now, folks, I don't know how else to say this, but that seems pretty clear to me. And like I said, I don't know whose word you take. You know, do, do you take a preacher that wants to explain this to you, or do you just, like me, with common sense and the ability to be able to read this for what it says? Do you take Jesus for what he, what he says and what he means? Believe on him and he'll give you everlasting life. And, and you've crossed from death unto life. You'll never pass into judgment and nobody will ever snatch you away. Now, what I try to do is get people to read these verses for themselves because, by the way, I don't save anyone and you don't either. Let's, let's get that out there real clear. I, anytime somebody comes to me and says, I saved someone today, I say, boy, they're in trouble. Because <laughs> if you can save them, somebody else can lose them. I saved somebody today. No, we are just messengers. Lay the text out there and ask them, what does God say you must do to have eternal life? Believe on Jesus and have eternal life. Okay, That's, this is what it says. This is what it says. Okay. What does John 10.30 mean? You know what it means. All right. Three truths, quickly, regarding eternal life. Number one, it's universal, and it's offered to everyone who believes in Jesus. You say, well, who are God's sheep? Who has the Father given to him? I don't know, and you don't either, and nobody else does. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Jesus died for the sins of the world. How many times do you have to say that? He died. He, he made every human being savable. But they have to believe. Okay, that's as simple and as clear as I can make it. Number two, salvation or eternal life has one condition. What is it? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Philippian jailer asked the Apostle Paul, by the way, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Paul says in Romans 1.16, remember the Romans road? Yeah, but what does Paul say in one? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Eternal life is about believing in Jesus. That's the one condition. By the way, it's not the amount of belief or faith that you actually have. You know, it only, Jesus said a, a mustard seed would move a mountain. It's not the amount of faith you have, it's the object you're putting your faith in. What are you trusting in for eternal life? Is it you? Is it the church? Is it your good behavior? Your actions? Or is it the person and the work of Jesus Christ and what He did for you on the cross? And what He offers to you, eternal life. It's about the object. It has one condition, believe. And third, it is a promise 
of an irrevocable, I started to put trust, irrevocable guarantee. You shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. Or you have everlasting life. You have crossed over. The moment you believe on Jesus, folks, so many things happen in your life. Listen to this little, I'm going to run through a little theological trilogy here. The moment you hear this gospel and you believe, boom, the Spirit of God comes inside your human spirit. This is, this is metaphysical. That means something outside the physical. The, humans, the Holy Spirit regenerates the human spirit, the part of you, your, your personality, who you are, even after you die, outside of your flesh. Boom, you're regenerated. In the council of God, in, in, in the heavenlies, in the courtroom of God, guess what? You have been declared righteous. You are also granted from the moment you accept Christ as your Savior from now through all of eternity. Are you ready for this? You are a child of God. You're one of His sheep. You're in His family, whatever name you want to put on that, and you'll never be cast away. Not only that, there's something else that happens inside of you besides your regeneration. You are indwelt. The Trinity comes and lives inside of you. I could show you this in Scripture, by the way. Father, Son, and Spirit. Trinity lives inside of you as a believer. We focus on the Holy Spirit a lot, but where one is, three are. Okay? He's living inside of you. He's with you always. Even when you sin against Him. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's always there. Respond to Him and you'll know. What else does He do? He places you into the body of Christ. In theology, we call this the baptism of the Spirit. He puts you in the universal body of Christ, of which Christ is the head. You're part of that universal body. You'll never be taken out. You know, when you have a, a body, you don't go yanking fingers off, do you? I mean, unless you're crazy. Right? Well, I don't like that finger anymore. I'll cut it off. No, you don't do that. God doesn't do that. You're part of the body. You have a place. And then guess what? You're sealed. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know, you know what a, a seal was? Sometimes we think of like a canning jar, right? I'm going to can the green beans. I'm going to put the seal on them so they don't spoil. That's not what it's talking about. A seal is like a mark of authenticity and it's also a guarantee. So what God has promised you after you believe on Jesus for eternal life, you've got to have a body to live in throughout eternity that's never going to die. Did you know that? And He has promised you, the Holy Spirit who lives within you, as a down payment, old timers used to call it earnest money, and we'll give you some earnest money until I, I got the rest of it. He, he has given us the Holy Spirit and sealed us as a guaranteed promise that one day you and I are going to have a redeemed body that will live forever and ever and ever throughout God's eternal ages and His plan. You have that promise. And by the way, it's not going to be boring I promise you'll never play a harp or float on a cloud. That's all ridiculous. We are going to live on a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells and the goodness and the glory of God is magnified and we're going to learn so much about God every day of our life, we're going to be amazed. Please don't think you'll ever know everything about God you won't. You, you'll never know everything about God. Because that's how big God is, how great God is. You will learn something every day and be amazed. But you know, the greatest question, the greatest question is simply this, and you have to answer it. What have you done with Jesus? I mean, have you believed on Him for eternal life? Have you accepted His free gift of eternal life? And if you've done that, are, are you living for Him? Are you in fellowship with Him? Are you enjoying your Christian life? Are you living out your eternal life now in preparation for what's to come? Or are you miserable? 
Maybe you need to get back in fellowship with him this morning. Maybe you've trusted Jesus, you believed on Jesus, but you're miserable. You know what you do as a, as a Christian? Just like what I said at the dinner table. Father, I have sinned against you. I'm your child. I've done wrong. I know I did wrong. I agreed you. Please forgive me of this, this, this. And if you do like me and every other thing that I'm ignorant about. Because by the way, you can sin sometimes and don't even know it. Did you know that? Sins of omission and commission. We sin and don't even know we sin. But we ask God for forgiveness and cleansing. He cleans us up. Puts us back at the table. What a gracious God. But if you've never believed on Jesus this morning, this would be a great time to do it. Whether you're here in person or whether you're watching this online, you say, what do I have to do? As clear as I can possibly be. Realize who Jesus is and what He's done for you and trust His gift, His free gift of eternal life and just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that You are who You said You are and I want to receive the gift of eternal life that You've given me. Thank You for dying on the cross for my sin and paying my debt and I believe on You as my Savior. And if You'll do that, He will give you eternal life. Father, Thank you so much this morning for the clarity, the clarity of your word. And thank you that we can come together this morning and study this and challenge each other and look into your word and see the clearest places of where you've spoken. What must a person do to have eternal life? And I pray today, Father, that you would take your word and open up the hearts and the lives of people. Maybe there's someone here today that has never believed on Jesus for eternal life. They've never trusted him as Savior. I pray today that you would do the work that you do in their heart and help them, enable them to be able to believe, to do this. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for the promise that you give us. And thank you for the hope that we have. And Father, even as believers, as we hear this, it encourages our hearts. It challenges us to think about what a blessing it is to be in your family. Sometimes we get dirty. We need to be clean, cleansed. So I pray this morning that you'll cleanse your people too. Help us to be willing to confess, to say about sin what you say about it. And to ask for forgiveness. Cleanse us, restore us into fellowship with you. And help us to enjoy our family life in the body of Christ. So bless your word this morning. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.